You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm so excited for my guest this evening. In just a few minutes, I'll be joined by Ashaba Farida, who is on the phone with us from Uganda. And she is going to be sharing her really inspirational story of becoming a pilot, one of only 20 in her country, and also founding the Bambino Life Foundation, uh, which supports orphans and girls' education. So uh, sit tight. We're going to have her with us in just a moment. You'll also hear from our watch team of contributors bringing you up-to-date information and news from their industries in health, technology, education, leadership, diversity, finance, and education. So please be sure to stay with us during the breaks. And I love receiving messages and feedback from my listeners, so feel free to send me a note anytime. You can reach out to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T, or send me an email to susan at womentowatch.net. So now I'd love to welcome to the show Ashaba Farida. Ashaba, thank you so much for being with me tonight. Oh, thank you, Susan. Oh, I'm very excited. I, I read about the work that, you, that you've done and, and about your story and how you came to, to do what you're doing. And I, I truly think it's so uh, inspirational and a great example of how we can become who we choose to be, no matter our background. Uh, so I'd love to start off with a quote. Actually, this is uh, something that you've said pertaining to your background. You said, even at a young age, I loved giving. I would give my pocket change to the beggars by the roadside. It gave me such joy giving back to those in need. Tell us um, about your upbringing uh, in East Africa with your mom and your brother. Um, well, um, uh, um, I grew up with a single mother. I didn't grow up with both parents. And uh, it's me, the firstborn, and my brother is the secondborn. We grew up in the outskirts uh, of Kampala. Kampala is the central 
city of Uganda, but the outskirts are not all that doing well. So that's where we grew up from. And with a single mother, of course, it's not easy because she's the mother, she's the father, she has to take you to school, she has to do this and that. So uh, at a very young age, I learned to, you know, to be mature and not ask for too much and try to be understanding because after all, I saw what was happening around me. And through through it all, I think it's it's it was an experience. It was really an experience. You know, I I know that your mom is really your your greatest inspiration. You know, you've described her as your hero, and I understand she had her own business. Can you tell me what that was? Yeah, uh, she she has a business. It's a, it's a snack business. Uh, they make uh, crisps and uh, Gina, something like that. So we supply them around Kampala supermarkets. Oh, she still has the business up to now. It's been going for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. It's basically what paid for my school tuition and all my cousins and everyone. So yeah, it's been going strong. And we supply around uh, supermarkets in Kampala, snacks. Okay. Tell me, can you describe the, the community you grew up in? What was that like? It was a humble one. If I'm to be honest, it was a humble background. There wasn't really much to do. But from everything that I remember, if I'm to be honest, I remember uh, lacking a lot, a lot of things that I never had. And I remember knowing that I have to be appreciative of the little that I had rather than focus on what I didn't have. So, but at, at the same time, you know, when you're a child, the things you want, even if you understand the parent situation, but it's going to hurt you when you reach school and you see kids have these things, they have that, they have all this, and you don't have it. So it's more like you, you just learn to be mature in whatever environment you're in. So the community was basically people who aren't, uh, you know, well off, the, background is really humble because that's much that's what we could actually afford at the time and as a young child I just realized now that as a young child even our community where we grew up from there is a lot it takes from you because you start taking on work of another person instead of being a child you try to understand you have to help your mother work you have to help your mother do this you don't get to enjoy the childhood as you're supposed to but it's interesting to me that while that was your experience inside, you had this desire to help all of the other children that were poor and and were lacking. And it was soon after high school that you started to collect clothes and toys and books um, and, and taking them to orphanages in your area. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, because I grew up in such an environment... Uh, I knew what it meant to lack and not to have something. But at the same time, my mom, even if uh, she was not doing well, she looked, uh, she, she took care of more than me and my brother. She took care of her brothers, her sisters, our, her nieces, nephews. So we had lots of people at home. So I learned from that because I saw her giving back, even when she didn't have, even us when the children, we barely had enough. She would also always give back help with the school tuition of the nieces who didn't have. And... Growing up in that situation of lacking and wanting something and not having it, when I went 
by the streets and I saw these young kids, I related to them, only that for them they didn't even have parents, so I thought they must have had it bad. Mm. And it inspired me because I felt if I can do something, why not try? But of course when you're in high school, who's going to help you? You know, you're a young kid, no one is going to give you money. Think you're going to use it for something else mm. but after high school i decided i cannot wait forever i cannot wait for funds because these children don't have that you know luxury to wait so i decided to start with whatever i had and i would go to people who had in plenty clothes shoes even if it was used but as long as it was in good condition i would pick it up and then i would collect them and then i take them to orphanages that needed them the most and for the most time it really worked and where i wouldn't have enough items i would chip in my pocket money and buy necessities like toilet paper, soap, all those little, little things that I would afford and I would take them along to the orphanages. So were these orphanages close by to where you lived? These orphanages were in school because after my high school, I went for my pilot training. I first went for my diploma in flight operations and management at the East African Civil Aviation Academy. So that is like uh, eight hours away from Kampala. It's in the eastern part of Uganda, Soroti. So these orphanages were around the school. Okay. Listen, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about your decision to go and get that pilot license. We'll be right back. Stay with us for our Health Watch and our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Cancer, a word you don't want attached to your name. But in reality, many of us are at risk. What causes cancer? One risk factor is genetics. Certain cancers run in families, and we can't control that. You can't choose your genes. The other environment, factors we can control, smoking, excess alcohol. How do we stay ahead of it? The magic word, prevention. Primary prevention, we know the cause for a cancer. For instance, smoking causes most lung cancers. So if you don't smoke, you can avoid most lung cancer. Secondary prevention, we don't know the exact cause, but with screening tests, we can find and remove pre-cancer before it becomes cancer or find early cancer when it's easier to cure. At Jefferson, I started a program called Pink Plus. Each Thursday night, you can have a mammogram, then meet with a GI doctor to learn about screening for colon cancer. That's two cancer screenings in one visit. Or you can start with a routine gynecology visit, then have mammogram and GI visit. That's three cancer screenings in one visit. Starts at 5 p.m., so no excuses, ladies. No time lost from work. It's called Pink Plus because cancer prevention is more than just a mammogram. In fact, when you combine men and women, more people die from colon cancer than breast cancer. It's a long list of advice which can be confusing. Mark your calendar, Saturday, March 2, a Pink Plus seminar for the general public at Jefferson. Free breakfast at 8.30, then at 9 o'clock, Learn about prevention and screening for breast, colon, gynecology, and lung cancers. Finally, a genetics counselor will tell you about testing and where to get the best advice. To register, call 215-503-9531. Divas, take care of yourselves or nobody else will. Call 215-503-9531. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. 
This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier, CEO of Nutrisystem with today's CEO Watch. So the next few weeks, we're going to continue our conversation around the number one thing to pay attention to as a business leader, company culture. As a leader, setting a deliberate culture should be a top priority, and it's not a one-and-done thing. You must constantly tweak it along the way because organizations are not static, and your culture needs to continually evolve. Today, we're going to focus on accountability and creating a performance-based culture. When I arrived at my company six years ago, I was surprised to find a lack of accountability across the board. Peeling back the onion, I discovered that this stemmed from unclear goals, lack of performance metrics, and undefined ownership and lines of responsibility. I also found that when bonuses were earned, they were not paid out based on an individual's contribution, but rather on an individual's level. Everyone at the same level got the same payout. In my opinion, companies that do not reward for performance set themselves up for unremarkable and, at best, mediocre results. Establishing a culture of accountability starts at the top. The CEO must set the direction and everyone in the organization, no matter what their level is, needs to understand what is expected from them and how they fit in. Individual goals should cascade down from corporate goals. These goals should be formalized, tracked, and measured. They may change throughout the year based on emerging needs and reprioritization, and this also should be documented. In an accountable culture, there is clear ownership around outcomes and no finger pointing. People are expected to not only be accountable to their role, but to themselves and their colleagues. And as a CEO, I think one of the best enablers to establishing accountability is by having a reward-based system that differentiates based on performance. One final thought, being accountable is all about owning the outcomes, good or bad. I've never let anyone go from a company for making a mistake, but I have let people go for not owning it. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem. I'll be back next week to talk more about company culture for CEO Watch. Have a great week. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm joined this evening by Ashaba Farida. She's, she's calling us from Uganda, where she lives, and she is a pilot and also the founder of a wonderful foundation called the Bambino Life Foundation. Um, which supports children in orphanages and also young girls in education. And uh, let's talk about your decision to become a pilot, because that was unusual, um, particularly for a young girl uh, growing up where you did. I, first of all, I understand your that was not your initial aspiration. You were interested in being a designer or perhaps a chef? <laughs> yes, I love cooking. I love cooking and I love eating food. So yes, I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a chef or an interior designer. 
because I didn't actually know that we had uh, pilot training in Uganda. It's not the awareness there is a little bit really down. It's not that much. And also, I didn't think I would afford it. I mean, mm. with my background, I couldn't afford such a big dream as piloting because it's really expensive, both nationally and internationally as a course. So I wouldn't even think about it. But after my high school, an uncle came by and suggested that I go and do flight operations and management. It was expensive, but my mother decided she would pay the best way she could in installments. And when I reached there, I think it was in my second month when we had an orientation. And, you know, we go to the hangars and a plane comes, lands on the on the runway, and then they taxi back to the taxiway, and a lady comes out. And it was so empowering and inspiring. And I just knew I had to be that. I said, I have to be this because when I looked around, she was one of, you know, she was like, uh, she looked really badass. I don't know if I can say that, but she really looked amazing. And I knew I had to be that. And what even inspired me more is when I found out that there are very few women in this profession, especially in actually even in this particular school, like out of two girls in the entire class of, let me say, like 30 boys. So that's what really inspired me to be, to be a pilot. So that's so you were not intimidated by the fact that she was one of very, very few. You actually thought that was exciting and, and, and you wanted to do that I as well. I thought it was exciting. Yes, I wanted yeah. the challenge. It, yes. I mean, it was amazing. If she could do it, I would do it. And there is something empowering about a woman coming out of a plane. It is really empowering. Mm. It's it's out of this world. Oh. I knew I had to become that. I wasn't intimidated. I knew I would do it. Yeah. And here I am. You know, one of the questions I had for you was really, you know, why? Why did what was it that was appealing uh, about flying? And I found a quote where you said, when I'm flying, I get a sense of freedom away from congestion and traffic. I'm in a different world away from everyone. Do you prefer to be alone? Is that when you are your happiest? Yes, that is true. I love alone time. And when I'm flying, most of the times you're alone with your thoughts. It's away from congestion, away from people, not that I have anything against people, but you just see the world in a different perspective, not on the usual plane of problems and everything. You're just up and everything just seems beautiful and it makes you appreciate life. Mm. So tell me, what what is the cost of getting a pilot's license there? Well, it's 24000 US dollars, the entire cost. Okay. And you were able... But, to- yeah, go ahead. But uh, after I was inspired by the girls I saw and everything, and I knew I had to do it, I forgot to say that I didn't have the money for it. And I had to, you know, chase for a scholarship. So when the president came around at school, I put in my request, and I think I chased it for like two years. And then after, after I was successful, and yeah, I'm studying on government scholarship. And from what I understand, you just recently received your commercial pilot license. Is that correct? Yes, I did. So how, when you do that, um, what is the next step? Are you looking to join an airline? Oh, well, when you get your commercial pilot license, of course, it means that now, you know, you're allowed to fly for money or fly people for money. So you can get a job with that license. I got a job. 
However, I've, I had told them to wait for me a little bit because I wanted to add something to my license and that is called the rating. I wanted to add a mount engine rating and instrument rating. That is what I wanted to add and that is going to be this February actually because I'm starting on it I think next week. Mm -hmm. And then after the month of February, I'll be completely done and then I can go and start working officially. Okay. So, you know, we should mention again that you have this foundation as well. And I'm wondering how you'll split your time between flying um, and and working with the foundation. Yes. Um, even from way before, the foundation has known or is something that has taken 100% of my time, if I'm to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's been more of... Uh, because the thing about not making something about work entirely is you're doing it out of the goodness of, you know, because this is something that you want to do. Just like you have work and then you get off to swim because that's what you love to do. So I've been doing it even when I was in school the entire time. I, I managed to get people... Uh, I have people on board who have the same interest as me, the same passion as me, giving back to their communities. So we always come around and everyone has a different duty. They know what they're supposed to do. And we know every end of month we have to donate. So we have people who, who go on ground, look for orphanages or places that need this the most. And we just get the team on ground. It's, it's, it, it's possible. Yes. And, you know, the the wonderful thing today is that we're able to work when we're not all together in one space, you know, through technology. Yes. Yes. Listen, yes. we're, we're yes. going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, your father and, and your relationship with him and his work there in Africa. Stay with us. You're listening to Women to Watch. And coming up is our Leadership and Finance Watch. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch today. And so excited because I'm about to throw everything upside down and actually throw you for a loop. Yep. Today, I'm going to encourage you, and with all great intention, throw out assessments. I know that's a scary thought. And for so many of you in organizations, whether domestic or global and serving clients around the world or wherever you are, especially if you're leading organizations of any kind, we are brilliant, right? We have amazing people on board. We have brilliant human resource people, learning and development people. And with all great intention, most of the people in our organizations have had their fill with assessments. And trust me when I say this, I walk and support and serve so many organizations. And every time the first question I ask is, what's the latest assessment you've rolled out with your folks? And I'm, I got to tell you, I'm certified in a lot of them. I love a lot of them. There's DISC, Insights, Culture Index, Habit Finder, Values Indicator, Strengths Finder, Myers-Briggs, right? The list goes on and on. Here's the cool thing. They're all designed with great intention, and each one has a different place to serve us. Some are behavioral assessments, some are personality. But here's what I can tell you and what I'm passionate about and going all over the world and, and really impacting organizations right now is it's time to throw out assessments because we've got to stop assessing people. People are done being assessed. It's the algorithm of you. Pull from each one and find what benefits you to find how to be a better communicator and, and how to enhance your behavior style. But what people can't get from an assessment and what they need from you, and listen carefully, they need you to know who they are. Know me, care about me, and pay attention to me. And that starts by talking to people, not reading an assessment, which is an evaluation of who they are. It's time to get back 
human side of people rather than treating them as knowledge banks. Let me know what you think, hollydowling.com. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. A term that we hear a lot in investing is asset allocation. If you're one of those people who doesn't understand what that means, you're not alone. We find that a common misconception is that it refers to picking a mix of the hottest stocks, but that's not the case. In the broadest sense, asset allocation refers to the mix of stocks, bonds, and cash that you own. They can be in the form of individual securities or grouped into mutual funds or ETFs. More aggressive or risky allocations tend to have a higher percentage of stocks in relation to bonds. Bonds are also referred to as fixed income and cash. More conservative allocations tend to have higher percentages of bonds and cash. The value of stocks and bonds can fluctuate due to many different factors, and they generally perform differently under the same conditions. Stocks tend to perform better than other assets, asset classes over the long term. So what more do we need to know, Maggie? Well, another thing we should be aware of is that not all stocks are the same and not all bonds are the same. For example, some stocks represent ownership in very large, well-established companies. Others may represent smaller companies in less established industries or technologies. There are even more variations in bonds, and they can be used by the federal government or state or foreign governments. Others are issued by corporations, large or small. And not all bonds are considered safer than certain stocks. You or your advisor needs to do a lot of homework before you decide to invest. So how do we help our clients determine an appropriate asset allocation? What do you think, Terry? Well, at Fortis, we start with getting to know you, your net worth, income, financial obligations, and goals, and how you think you would react in certain market situations. We use that information to design a portfolio that is appropriate for your unique profile. So yes, understanding our client is always the first step in putting together any plan for them. And asset allocation is the result that we express through investments. This is Maggie. And this is Terry. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 
Thanks for being with us again this evening. I'm talking to Ashaba Farida from Uganda. She's a pilot and the founder of the Bambino Life Foundation. Um, you know, in the beginning of the show, Ashaba, you spoke about growing up with, you know, a single mother um, and your brother and, and being poor. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your father and your relationship with him. I understand he's a spokesperson for the Uganda Muslim Supreme Council. Yes. Um, actually, uh, because my father is a Muslim, you know, they don't have anything against having more than one woman. So I I, I think that's how I came in the, into the picture. And from when I was born, uh, actually, my mom told me that the entire time, even when she was pregnant, she was staying alone. So even when I was born, uh, you know, I was with my mother. Uh, once in a while, I would try to communicate with my father. I don't want to say that our relationship is bad or anything like that. Mm. I, I, it's more like I've grown up with my mom, so I talk to my mother, you know, more than I do my father. But he was, from what I understand, he was supportive of your decision to, to study aviation. Mm, no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I I thought that uh, no, I thought because, I read about no. there was a um, some no. kind of a vision of you flying and and in a plane and that it gave you some confidence. I thought that was something I read uh, that your father shared with you. Perhaps I was mistaken. No, no, no. Because the thing is, I grew up with my mom. Everything. So when it came to decisions or everything or school tuition, everything has always been my mother. Mm-hmm. So yes, everything. So yeah. I, I don't know. He could be. He, he is proud. I think he may be proud of me mm-hmm. or something like that. But I really don't know because I've not talked to him in a long time. OK, well, tell me, I want to know about what it felt like the very first time you went up to fly. You know, what kind of nerves did you have and how did you get past that? Well, <laughs> the very first time is actually a funny story because, you know, these tiny planes, the Cessnas, they're very uncomfortable and they're not pressurized, especially if you are a passenger. The experience is not the same as a pilot. So I had to first go as a passenger because I had to get used to that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the experience. And then I'm going to go and then these guys who had known this entire thing just told me that, you know what, you know, you need a polythene because you're going to puke. <laughs> I was like, no, I can do that. You know, I'm strong. <laughs> so I get in the back and, you know, they were doing a, a routine flight called touch and go where you come land uh, briefly on the runway. Actually, you don't land. You just go through the runway and then go back again. So the first time was okay. The second time, the nerves got the better of me. Mm. And I didn't want to embarrass myself. I was like, no, I can do it. I can do it. Then again, then I was like, okay. But then I think the plane had a problem. So the instructor said, let's come back. So when I came back, these guys were looking down. They knew I would need that polythene after all. (laughs) But I just had to, you know, walk away with confidence and act like, you know, it's all okay. It's all okay. But... Uh, my first time as a pilot, however, was a very different experience because I was already used uh, the first time I went. And in the pilot seat, it's different. It's a little bit liberating because you are in control of everything. You feel like if I do this, it's because I want and that. So the first time as a passenger, sorry, the first time as a pilot, it was great. It was amazing. I loved it. It, it was it was a great experience. Tell me, when you were going through uh, flight school, did you have any pushback from your male counterparts uh, that felt perhaps you, you know, should not be there as a woman? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. And this is this 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 is going to be. I mean, this is a story everywhere here in Africa because in Africa, women are not meant to be in such positions. That's a fact. In most African countries, women are meant to be, you know, child bearers, family, you know, stay at home, do this, cook and do this. So when you go into such positions, it's a little bit intimidating for some men. And so you have uh, men or boys who don't think that you're where you are because you're smart enough. Because for them, if they do the same thing, oh, I'm very smart. If a lady does it, oh, she's being favored by the instructor, oh, she's sleeping with that instructor you get. It's like they always want to explain what you do it's never because you're smart it's never because of that it's either you're being favored it's it's either you seduced the instructor or you slept with an instructor it's never you're smart which is really sad because apparently smartness is for the men Mm. (laughs) so yes that that happened it happened but with time you just have to prove that you know you deserve to be there just as much as anyone even if it means working twice as hard you do your part and you know with time people start acknowledging that actually you know you're giving it all you have so did you speak up on your behalf or did you just ignore uh that kind of discrimination what worked for you if I'm to be honest I ignored it because Mm. I felt like if I spoke about it I was going to give it life Mm. And I was going to feud that attention that I didn't really need. So I just had to do my part. The thing about flying is it's not too much about theory. If you are a good pilot, you're a good pilot. There is nothing there, you know. So even if you talk and at the end of the day, someone comes, you have an examiner and I do my part and I fly very well, they're going to see it. It's not science or science. Okay, it's science. But (laughs) if you're a good pilot, you're a good pilot. If you're not good at it, you're not good at it. There is nothing else to explain it. Yes. So I I ignored it. Yeah. That's good advice, right? Just go, just kind of prove by your action and the results of your your education. Um, What do you think you would be good, you know, under pressure in kind of a crazy situation? I have, (laughs) if I were to be honest... I have, uh, I tend to be, my mind is calmest when I'm under pressure. Mm. When I'm under pressure, when I'm scared, it's like my mind just calms down. So yeah, I think I'll be great under pressure. I have been great under pressure because I just tend to calm down automatically. We're going to take one last break, Ashaba. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the places you would love to travel and uh, if you have any plans to come to the U.S. You're listening to Women to Watch, and up next is our Diversity Watch. Stay with us. This is the Women to Watch Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. Today's prophetic ethic is the master of all ethics. Without this one, all the prophetic ethics are incomplete, and that is promoting virtues and forbidding vice. All these ethics that we're talking about mean nothing if we do not practice them and inspire others to practice them. There is misconduct in every community. Muslims believe that it's part of their duty to change that by standing up for what's right. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says that there are different ways of doing that. He said, quote, Whoever among you sees an evil action and can change it with their hand, let them change it with their hand. If they cannot do that, then with their tongue. And if they cannot do that, then with their heart. And that is the weakest of faith. End quote. 
So three stages to changing a wrongdoing. First is by taking constructive action to trigger that change. Second is by speaking out against it. And third, the least a person can do is to acknowledge silently that this is wrong and hope for change through prayers. To become a moral human being is the ultimate goal that the religion of Islam advocates for. Prophet Muhammad and all the previous prophets before him, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, peace be upon them all, were sent to perfect moral ethics. Muslims continue their legacy by embodying these virtues and inspiring others to do so as well. Quote, Most surely humans are in loss, except those who believe and do good and enjoin on each other truth and enjoin on each other patience. End quote. That was the verse in chapter 103 in the Quran. Join me by connecting on hanadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso with Pathways Consulting Group. DNA and fingerprinting science and technology enables officials to identify criminals without doubt, and I believe most would say it's exactly what we needed to put criminals behind bars. Fast forward decades later, this science has advanced greatly, and if it's used responsibly, can provide us with information that can help us personally. However, there is much controversy to the extent of the direction that science and technology are going. Have you heard of the term genetic fortune-telling? Much like genetic testing for breast cancer, which many of us are familiar with, this form of science and technology is being developed by scientists in an effort to provide a report card to parents at the time of their child's birth. The report card outlines for parents such things as whether a child has the genetics for cancer or heart disease or other such ailments. In theory, this report could also include the intelligence of a child and whether or not they will be susceptible to drug dependencies. Sounds impossible? But with the incredible advancements in science and technology, it's all feasible. According to Eric Turkheimer, who's a behavioral geneticist, the new technology can both be exciting and alarming because there's chances that these technologies will be used for both good and bad. Therefore, my opinion is be responsible. Before entertaining any new concept like this, ask yourself some questions. Am I prepared to cope with the results? What are my goals for this testing? How would I use the test results? What will I do differently if the results are positive or if they're negative? And who am I going to share the results with? As science and technology develops at lightning speed, it's important for us to get involved, voice an opinion, and stay educated. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Drop me a line at mary at pathwayscg.com. Ashaba, I know as a pilot, you you meet a lot of people and and they all joke about, you know, you taking them places far, far away. And so I would be neglectful to not ask where is one place in the world you would love uh, to be able to go visit? I have like 
four places. Can I say them? Sure. <laughs> four places. Yes. I think the first place would be Japan. I know it's weird, but I would want to visit Japan for their tradition, their culture. I just love it. Then Italy is mm. the second. Okay. Yes. yes. For the food and everything. And then France. Yes. I think those are like uh, the most ones okay. <laughs> out there. Yeah. And then the United States of America. Oh. <laughs> the list would be incomplete. <laughs> there that, you go. Right? That would be a very good list. You have to come. And I guess, you know, it, it's different if you end up um, as a private pilot uh, having your own um, plane, I, I know that that's kind of a dream of yours or flying for an airline. So, you know, what would you have to do to go about doing that, flying a, a private jet? I mean, uh, flying a private jet, it's more of uh, you have like uh, rich uh, employers, more like, let me say, the royal or something like that. Mm. So or celebrities who own private jets because we don't we don't really have private jets here in Uganda. The only person who has a private jet is the president. And I don't even think it's his. It's for the state. Okay. So, uh, yes, not to say that I'm overreaching. I would want to be a private pilot. I think that would be great. I think I would have opportunities to travel in different areas, which mm -hmm. is perfect for me because I just joined the 99s International Women Pilot oh. Association. And oh, good. I think that would be a great opportunity for me. Yeah. However, uh, my ultimate dream would be to own my plane through the charity like if the charity is big enough to own planes and i just fly for charity purposes mm. so if, you know fly donate here fly drop food here i think i would really love that i would really really love that that would be wonderful that you know that would be the ideal situation for you and and let's talk about the girls education and empowerment piece of your foundation what types of thing are, things are you focusing on um, and what do you most hope to um, educate these young girls about? Okay. Um. Uh, well, through Bambino, in the beginning, we focused on, because we, like I said, it was firstly children. And then it was children in the orphanages. Then after I upgraded, I added uh, children living with disabilities because they're really neglected here in Uganda. There is not enough sensitization and awareness about that particular topic but then uh, because of my profession i thought it was a great platform to use it to inspire girls so we put up promoting girl child education and empowerment and what we're trying to do is we have two types of girls you have girls who have gone to school and then you girls who you have girls who dropped out of school the challenges of one particular group is not the same as the challenges of the other so we try to separate activities differently now girls who didn't go to school or who dropped out of school young mothers we try to empower them through uh, teaching them you know hands-on skills uh, like making reusable parts, making soap, uh, liquid soap, or candles, because I believe uh, not relying on donations and trying to do something that is sustainable for them is really good for the mm. future Yes, in the long run for them. So we go to different areas in the rural parts of Uganda, deep, some areas that maybe were war-torn at some place, and, you know, they still have a bit of challenges economically coming up. We go there, we teach these young girls how to do pads, how to do all these things because we want to leave them with that skill to empower them and not rely on, you know, because most of the girls are going to be married off young because parents think they're going to get off money them, you know. Mm. It's all about if our in-laws can give us enough money. 
but if we teach these children different things and what to do and they have some money they have that empowerment sense of it they're able to take care of their families help around home everything the girls in school we are looking at more of encouraging them to join science technology engineering and mathematics yes because also that has been neglected a lot so each girls group has a different you know strategy and a different project to bring them up but the end goal is empowerment and girl child education yes T- tell me how common is still the uh, marriage of young girls oh well it's common i mean in the areas that are off kampala the deeper areas the rural areas of uganda it is common because most parents actually do this because they want to benefit something from the girls it's not more like you know you're really interested your girl to get married it's more we are not doing so well. The in-laws will give us some money. Wow. But that money yeah. won't even last them long, you know. It's, mm. it's a short time. So girls are forced into marriage because the family wants to gain, you know, some, something from the other family or, you know, get some little money. And the money is really little or get dowry, which is very, very little and it can't sustain them. Yes. And we want to change that because most organizations have been going about it in a way of putting up schools and all that. But that's, I don't think that's really the cause. Because even if you put up a school, if a parent wants to marry her off, they will marry her off. That's right. But if you teach them these things that can sustain them, bring them a little bit of money. And if this girl is working and giving, you know, the parent money, I don't think the parents will have that urge to get her married off at an early age because she's already giving them at least the money they need. At some oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me as though the, the parents need to be educated almost more than the children, because you can have these resources yes. in these schools. But if the parents don't choose to send them there, then they're not going to exactly. benefit. Yes. And they'll still marry them off, even if the school is free and everything. Yes. They'll still marry them off. Yes. Because the problem is with the parents. What is the mo- what is the largest opportunity? So when when you were mentioning teaching them um, skills, and of course I was thinking, you know, perhaps teach them design and and cooking. Um, are these uh, careers um, opportunities there in Uganda? What what fields, what industries are, are would be the biggest opportunity for young women to go into? I mean, if I'm um, to look at uh, low low budget uh, jobs or something like that uh it would be something i would really recommend and we have been trying to do this uh, because the organization where we are now we've not been getting like stable let me say funding or international funding and you're trying to look at a way where we can start up uh, uh build facilities that teach tailoring you know mm-hmm. how to sew clothes and that it really works actually in the uh, in the upper countries and also things like catering that oh. is really good for them. Okay. Yes, and... because you can't say, oh, doctor, because that side, it doesn't really matter. That side is about, uh, in the up in the countryside, it's about doing this and this raw area, something that is going to benefit you. And I think tailoring actually would really be easy because you don't need to be really educated to learn how to tailor or yes. make clothes and all that. <clears throat> yes. And with time, people can actually do those fashionable designer clothes, I think, if they're smart, you know. And also catering, which is perfect. You yeah. get to make simple snacks for kids who are going to school, sell them around town. Yeah. Listen, we, we're, we're out of time. I want you to just give the contact information for anyone who's listening who might want to donate. Okay. Uh, our websites are www.bambinolife.org. And then our Instagram is bambinolife256. And our Facebook is Bambino Life Foundation. 
and the contact number is plus two five seven seven five six three eleven five seven. That is okay. my number. Wonderful. Listen, I, I'm so appreciative of your joining me this evening, Ashaba, and I wish you continued success and hope you'll stay in touch with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Susan. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much to our sponsors and advertisers for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.